In this episode of the Techno Gypsy podcast, we welcome Dana Ware. Dana has lots of experience working in various production roles and in the recent years has jumped into creating experiences in virtual slash augmented reality. After receiving masters for game production and film slash media arts, she gained enough knowledge to not only start creating in the space, but to also design and teach courses about the intersection between film and virtual slash augmented reality. Down the line, Dana went to work as a creative director for places like The Void and Dark Slope, and speak at numerous conferences. In this episode, we talk with Dana about the difference between virtual and augmented reality, location-based entertainment, what it's like being a creative director, dealing with being a minority in STEM, and so much more. For those of you who don't know, the Techno Gypsy in Techno Gypsy Podcast actually means a modern-day nomadic person who balances the arts and sciences in their lifestyle. And I think our guest today, Dana, really embodies that. So I'm super excited to jump right into this episode. So, hey, Dana, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, really excited for this episode. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to talk to you about all the different things virtual and augmented reality have in store for us. Awesome. So why don't we jump right in? So you have experience building project, different, like, different projects in the virtual and augmented reality space. So I'm actually very, very curious to hear your explanation on, first of all, what are the fundamental like technical differences between virtual and augmented reality? And how has your experience creatively developing both of these experiences differed because they are like two kind of different technologies? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think a lot of people get confused, right? Especially if they're not engaging in this space very much, they might sometimes interchange the two names without realizing that they're very much different technologies from each other. Still dealing with a lot of immersion, which I think is the reason why they get kind of confused and because of the fact that they're also emerging tech, right? So people don't really have much experience with either one of them. And so they sometimes will mistake them for each other. But I think that with like the really popular Pokemon Go AR mobile game, people have a much better sense as to what augmented reality looks like and can afford them as far as gameplay and geolocations and having a digital twin within the world and spatial relationships. So I think that Pokemon Go is like a really good access point for people coming in and wanting to like learn about augmented reality. It's also like an apparatus that people understand. So not asking people to put on like a head mounted display, they are familiar with their cell phone. They're familiar with the camera on their cell phone. They're familiar with how they can use that type of framing to see things within the space or kind of track themselves. So it's a much more comfortable kind of technology and entry point for a lot of people, especially when they're thinking about augmented reality. And then like you take it to the next level of like, okay, well, Pokemon Go or like Pikmin Bloom, like all all of these games that are on these phones have different types of interactions, right? That they're asking you to do and different types of gameplay associated with that. And so the gameplay and the interactions actually map really well across head-mounted displays. 
and across different types of augmented and then also virtual reality technologies. So some of those principles of design are really going to cross over between the two, but they do have their own specific kind of requirements and they all have their specific kinds of affordances that are really to that particular device or headset or VR versus AR. So as far as like a headset AR application, you might be able to move around the space a little bit more freely, use hand gestures because there's a camera kind of tracking your hand gestures and, and those can be part of the gameplay. Those can be part of the interactions that are being asked of you if you're supposed to like pet a, an animal or toss an object. It's going to be a little bit more mapped out to, to your body's typical interactions and gestures that you might be more familiar with. So sometimes like head mounted displays actually are a lot more easier for people to navigate once they get past the fact that they're wearing this headset on their head. And the field of view within a headset, an AR headset is actually quite smaller. It's mapped a little bit more closely to like eyeglasses that you would have. And so it's a smaller kind of window that you're working with when you're designing and when you're trying to call attention for directional, directorial kind of purposes, you have a much smaller kind of framing that people are typically looking through. So as opposed to virtual reality. So now virtual reality, let's go into that a little bit. Most people have no idea what virtual reality is if they haven't put on a headset yet. They have a very like sometimes skewed perception as to what VR is. If they had done early VR, I'm talking about the second wave of early VR, which is probably the last like eight years or so. That wave of VR at the beginning of it, there was some really bad VR or we were still kind of learning some of these principles of design and how the body and the visuals kind of relate to each other and proprioception. Like there's a lot of stuff that we were figuring out and learning as developers and so sometimes we made things that made people throw up and get really sick, but it was because we were still kind of testing the boundaries, learning about the, the hardware and the software and the integration of the two and, and then the user experience on top of that, right? So all of these principles were still kind of being flushed out in that kind of early days of like eight years ago. It was still kind of being flushed out. And so sometimes we made things that made people sick. And if they, if you had tried an experience then and got sick back then, you might be nervous about putting a headset on now where you don't really have to be anymore because we figured that stuff out, right? We figured out some of the, the messy components. And I hardly ever hear people getting sick now, like they used to back eight years ago. So there sometimes is hesitation. Sometimes people have put on headsets or, or haven't. And so just people knowing about what, what the environment inside a virtual space is can sometimes be a hurdle to explain. Like working with a VR headset is actually significantly different than an AR headset in the sense that you're completely immersed, right? So you have a whole entire virtual world that you're stepping into where with augmented headset, you're still seeing the physical world that we're in and you have a digital twin that kind of can sometimes look like an overlay or depends on how it's designed. It'll look like an overlay or it's an actual integration, which is really cool stuff that's happening now is that you can actually 
get a mapping, like a reading of your of your room, and then that room can start to have components in it that are virtually put into the scene, but those virtual objects can actually kind of work with and relate to some of the physical objects that have been mapped within your space. So it's a really interesting way of bringing in this digital twin into our into our world and seeing it here in the world that we live in. Whereas virtual reality, we're usually just placing you into a new world, right? We're placing you into a new environment. And I've worked on a project once where we made a replica of the world that you were in, but inside VR too. And it was kind of an interesting concept because you, you can kind of play with it. But typically you're making worlds that are not like the world that you're in. I put people into all sorts of different worlds that are associated with movies or characters that they know and love. And so that's really fun because then people have come out of some of those experiences and they felt like they got to be with their superhero, right? They're a fan of Spider-Man and they got to be in there with Spider-Man and they come out just like crying because they got to be with their hero. And it's a really sentimental moment where you realize that this technology allowed that person to feel so immersed that they are, they actually convinced themselves that they were with their hero and they were, they got to fight alongside their hero which is a really special user fantasy that we get to fulfill through this technology. And so I love that about it. Let's see, what else do I love about VR? There's so many ways for us to be able to, to engage in like social play as well within these virtual spaces where you get to hang out with your friends. I have a lot of friends that don't live in the same state as me or even the same country as me. And I get to hang out with them every night virtually in these virtual spaces. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, we can play games with each other or we can just kind of hang out and comfort each other when we've had a hard day. So it's a lot of really like interesting opportunities for social interactions as well as different types of opportunities for games and watching virtual films and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I love how you kind of mentioned that the, like it's virtual reality I guess along with augmented reality it's not just specifically about games that you play it's just generally about the experience that you have it it can be so mm-hmm. impactful I I love the story that you brought up about being able to like you know be with your favorite superhero and like be immersed in that space that's something that's so valuable and it's something that people that I've spoken to about like the virtual augmented reality space think of it as a game, think of it as just like some photo or some just like this random video game, but it, it can be so much more if you leverage the technology in the right way. So I love how you kind of um, explain that a little bit. And from talking with you a little bit from your like answer to that question, I'm assuming that you have worked with virtual reality more is that or have you done like a clear cut, like you've done the same amount of virtual reality projects as you've done augmented reality projects? Um, so I definitely lean heavier on my virtual reality experience than my augmented reality, but I have worked on both and I have been able to work on mobile AR as well as HMD. So head mounted displays AR as well, but I've done a lot of VR. So a lot of at home VR as well as location-based VR and different types of location-based VR too. So there's quite a lot of work. My body of work leans heavier towards VR than AR for sure, but I do have experience with both, yeah. 
Awesome. And actually, why don't we lean towards more like the virtual reality stuff and talk about the difference between location-based VR and at-home VR? Sure. Yeah. So at-home VR is typically the stuff that you will play like on a PlayStation VR headset, Meta's different headsets that they have. Most of that stuff, the content-wise, is going to be an at-home game. At-home games before, sometimes they were single-player Sometimes they had multiple players, but it was usually designed to be a solo single player experience with the intention originally being that like most people are only going to own one headset in their house and they're only going to have space for one headset because you do have to have a considerable size of space in order to like use the technology. I mean, you can use it in a chair, but not all experiences or games have been designed for their best use case scenario in a chair. A lot of them have been designed for you to be able to move around the space and get kind of get physical with it, right, is the intention. And so that, the idea being that, like, not a lot of people have enough room or multiple headsets in order to have more than a single person experience kind of at the beginning is what was happening. And you still kind of see that to this day. But now we've, we've gotten co-location stuff down where you can actually be in a virtual space with your friends and do that through networking and have more of a social experience where you're doing co-op play. You're actually like passing off a virtual object to each other. I can hold it and hand it to you and you can grab it and, gonna, and it's going to work seamlessly just like it would on a traditional PC video game as well. We've gotten to that point where that's like working successfully. And so now we have a lot more co-op games, but they're still with the idea that you're in your house, right? It's still going to be me in my house in this like eight by eight space or more or less, you know, amount of space. And, and that's it. It's going to be me and my headset and the space where location-based VR, the idea is more about you probably going with your friends or people that you know, or deciding to join another group with other people. And I've done this before because I, I like to play a lot of games with people I don't know sometimes. <laughs> so you can go to a space that like at The Void, which is the stuff that I have worked on. That's the company I am with. I'm the creative director at The Void. We make stuff where you can come in Typically, you know, it's like four players, you come in, everybody gets a headset, they get a haptic suit that they have on, and then there might be a prop that they're either going in with or they are discovering inside of the experience. Typically, it's a discover inside the experience for the void. That's what we do for our location-based stuff. And so the virtual and the physical are all mapped to each other. And so it's free roaming. You can actually physically walk around a space with your friends and engage in some type of play, whether that's like we are all stormtroopers and we're on this mission and we've got to go fight Darth Vader and here's our blasters that we're using to do it, right? Or it's we are all in Jumanji and we're all different characters and we all have our different abilities and our skills and every single one of us brings something to the team that's really important for us to get through this task that we have ahead of us. And so really leaning into that co-op play, really leaning into the physicality of having props, using sensory effects as well. So the, these are all things that just help with somebody being more immersed and having more presence within a space 
which hopefully will lead to them having an even better experience and having fun with their friends and building social experiences that they will take with them forever is kind of the goal, right? Like I I want people to build memories that they're going to have forever. And when I meet people and if I meet them for the first time and they've been to avoid, I usually see this like spark in their eye where they're like, oh my gosh, I have this memory of me and my child going through the Star Wars experience and then being a stormtrooper. And I will always remember it for the rest of my life. And you're just like, oh, wow, this like is very sentimental. You know, this is, this is a shared experience and memory that they will have of somebody very special to them for the rest of their life. And it's nice to bring those magical moments to people. And so that's kind of the stuff that we do for location-based. It's typically out of the home, typically multiplayer, co-op opportunities, and mapping physical to virtual is usually what's happening. Well, that is amazing. Um, I'm actually curious, um, where, like, what are the locations of, of the void? Like, where, where do they have the physical locations? So right now, we're kind of between spaces in the sense that we were operating, we were all over the United States, we were in other countries, the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, it was like, oh, how are we going to convince people to put on a headset? Oh, wait, all of our locations are closed. Oh, wait, nobody's going to want to share a communal headset during a pandemic. Oh, no, you know, all of our, our locations, unfortunately, closed. And we actually end up going out of business because we couldn't sustain the impact of that. And unfortunately, you know, the majority of COVID, we were, we were out of business. But then a company came along and, and brought the void back. And so this is the beginning stages of that. We're still at the beginning stages of it coming back. But it's really exciting. We have so many fans that are thrilled to hear that we're rising from the ashes like a phoenix is what they say, which is really fun um, to have that comparison because I very much uh, do believe that people are going to love what we are doing and what we've done. They have loved what we've done. So it's really exciting to be able to, to bring things back again. That is amazing. And I'm so excited when that comes back and when there's more information on that, because I definitely want to go to um, one of those. Yeah. That seems very fun. So I really want to do that. Um, and I actually am very curious, what got you into the, like, what got you into this, like, industry, like the virtuality, augmented reality space? Was it like a course you took or just some random opportunity? Like, what kind of got you into um, building these experiences? Sure. Yeah. So I had gone to Sundance and it was the first year that they had VR and it was the DK1 Oculus headset. They had a couple of different experiences that they were showing and it was like the headset was kind of still being built and it was very much like a little wonky you know, at, at the film festival. And I put on the headset and the experience that I did wasn't even truly fully 360 either. It, it had, it had the hintings of I could see what it could be, right? I could see the potential of what this was going to be and how how this was all going to come together. And it was super early on in the sense um, experiences. And I just knew, like I, I knew from that one opportunity that this was a thing I was waiting for. Cause I had studied film. I lived in LA. I grew up in LA and like, I was like, film, is it, is it photography? I'd worked in all of these different spaces 
doing museum stuff, doing interactive things. And this was like the thing where I was like, oh, this is like, it's like a game and a film and it's interactive. Like you have agency and you can do these beautiful environments. You know, if, if it, you want it to be a film, it can be a film. If you want them to do something, they can do something. It's kind of up to you. Like you can get them to really play with the space. And I loved that idea. I was like, oh, I, I can give people opportunities to kind of have their own destiny and they decide what they want to look at and they can do things within, they can choose to interact with a prop or not. And it just kind of blew my mind. I was like, this is amazing. And this is going to do so much for how we interact with each other is what I was thinking. And so just from that one experience, I was like, I, okay, I want to, I want to start making stuff. And I started, I think a lot of people either start on the game side of it or the film side of it. And I kind of started on the film side of it at first. And I was started making 360 films. And then I think it was probably like six months in, I was like, uh-uh, I want more interaction than this. And, and I started to like learn a little bit about gaming, like game engines. Cause I, I was a gamer, but I wasn't building games. I wasn't a developer. And so I was like, oh, I, I want to learn more about how to actually run a game engine and how to build within a game engine. And I, I had done some previous coding before, so it was like a little bit familiar, but still kind of foreign for me. And then I decided to go get two master's degrees so that I could really kind of hone in on this is what I'm going to do, but I need to develop the skills to do it. And they didn't have like a VR program, like most colleges don't have that. And so I decided to get a master's degree in film and new media, and then a second master's degree in engineering and game development. I did them at the same time. So I was able to kind of build my own VR and AR education and made stuff in VR and AR, also traditional films and traditional games too. But I really got an opportunity to flex those muscles and learn about new tools and new environments to build in. And it was, it was a great opportunity for me to, to do that. Sounds amazing. And it's so cool that you actually got to kind of build the opportunity to take a VR education it wasn't really there. So you kind of combined and created your own. That's mm -hmm. really, like really cool. I'm actually curious, have things changed now? Or like there are more opportunities to learn more about virtual reality and augmented reality development? Yeah. Now? Yeah. So, so because I was in that experience and I was like, hey, there's no VR classes, <laughs> you know, there, there isn't specifically like a lot of VR education. I actually wrote a grant to design a class so that I could oh, teach wow. one. Yeah. And so I got to do that. Like it, it got accepted and they like basically funded a, a chunk of my education to design and put together a course and to teach students. And it was a lot of fun and we had a great time. <laughs> and so, and it showed that there was a need for it as well. I got really good reviews from my students and they were really curious about what other opportunities were out there for them to keep working in this space. And I suggested, you know, whether whatever kind of discipline they wanted to go into, it was like, oh, you might want to take more film classes for, for this type of discipline. Or if you want to become this type of a developer, then these are the like gaming or engineering classes you might want to look into. And so I was able to help them kind of figure some of that out, but there isn't like a ton of VR and AR specific classes, just in general. 
but I do see them popping up and I do see a lot of online education courses that are done through some of these different websites. There's some online ones that I think are being offered through universities that are teaching VR courses, but they might not be in your state, but it's a virtual course. That's the thing about like VR. I'm like, why are these classes more taught on a virtual scale, you know, because you're working within that space and you're using that technology. Although for some of my LBE kind of specific stuff where it's physical and you have to be on location, that stuff gets a little bit trickier to do virtually. So you know, there, there's a toss up between whether or not it's easier or better to learn within a virtual environment or a physical one. It just kind of depends on the application you're trying to build. So, but there are more, there's more than there was when I started. That's for sure. So that's kind of nice. It's promising, you know. Got it. That's amazing. And I'm sure that in the future, as the technology is developing, there's going to be a bunch more opportunities since things are developing rapidly. And so you went from going to this film festival playing with this VR or like this, like this headset and then moving on to doing your two master's degrees and then starting your own course. And so now you're kind of in your creative director. So mm-hmm. you currently work at The Void as a creative director. And so I actually, first of all, I'm very curious. I'm sure a lot of other people are curious specifically for your industry. What is, what are your key or like fundamental roles that you have to do on a daily basis as a creative director? Yeah, so every project kind of differs a little bit depending on like what we're developing, what we're making, and also what platform we're using. So that all of that stuff kind of can change the way we approach a project. So I'll just kind of talk in general because I've worked on a lot of different projects and I've worked at a lot of different studios. So I'll kind of talk about it like generally speaking, but typically as a creative director, you're holding like the vision of the project. And so you will work maybe with a stakeholder that is the IP holder or a stakeholder that is the studio that's involved or the people that are funding the project or the platform provider, or, you know, there's all these different stakeholders. So typically like there are stakeholders involved that might be internally and externally. And then with all those people together, you kind of come together and figure out what the key pillars of the project are going to be. And you kind of disseminate that down to like the core of what the project is, figure out what that vision is, and then help everyone stay in line with that vision throughout the life cycle of the project. And so I'm used to working really closely with engineers, technical artists. I work really closely with traditional artists, so 2D artists, modelers, and also like writers and designers, game game designers as well. So I've worked with teams that have a bunch of different types of skills on the team. And then it's helping everyone to kind of line up all of the visions to have one cohesive project, because you can't have a certain type of system that's being developed if the gameplay isn't appropriate for that system and vice versa. Or you might need certain types of art assets in order to help direct a player to do a certain function or role. And so there's all of these different components that kind of have to just fit together in a real nice interlocked kind of system with each other. And so the creative director kind of holds that that vision and that team together is kind of the idea behind it. And then also really making sure going back to like some of the, the business side of creative directing is making sure that you have all of the different stakeholders needs 
that are being met as well. And sometimes that's the part where people, if they've never been in that role before, that that's the part where it can get a little bit sticky when it comes to like a team, because a team might be like, Hey, why are we doing this thing? We, we all hate this type of gameplay. Why are we doing it? It's like, well, there might be a reason for why we're doing it. And that reason might be because the IP holder wants that. Um, thank you for explaining that. And uh, we'll actually go on if you had something more you want to say about it. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's it. Okay, awesome. So um, that's like, sounds like a big role, first of all, like a lot of managing different things. So that sounds, yeah, very, very intense role. So how do you like, on a daily basis, do you find yourself in like meetings more? Or are you kind of like reviewing different documents? Like, like on a daily basis, what are some of the things that you're doing? Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't really frame that question the right way, but interpret no, it. No, you're totally fine. Yeah, you're totally fine. So it just kind of depends again on the project and the team. So sometimes I've been on projects where the majority of my time is just in meetings and we're trying to work through some type of feature or we're trying to work through some type of like hardware issue that we're having. And when you're working in emerging tech, you're always kind of pushing boundaries, right? And so you kind of have to allow yourself some space to push boundaries, make mistakes, work through some issues that you wouldn't be able to foresee, but that's kind of part of the whole R&D process of that. And and you need to be okay with that too, right? So sometimes it, it can be a lot of meetings to try to figure out what's the best solution for this and testing things and kind of like working on stuff that way. Sometimes it's meetings of just writing up game design docs and, and getting those types of features identified and defined and making sure that everyone, all of the leads are like bought into what we're doing and that it's going to connect well with each other and nobody's going to be stepping on each other's toes and, and you know it's all going to fit well together so there, sometimes it's days like that and then other days it's like you are heads down and either building stuff in the engine maybe potentially or testing stuff on a stage or developing a new type of prop or something you know on on the stage and working with engineers to do that so it can really look different depending on the project and it can really look different depending on the team that you're working with so yeah it just kind of just kind of depends you know I try to go with the flow uh with whatever's kind of needed that day and, and sometimes it's like okay today's just research all I'm doing is just trying to figure out like what's the next step we're going to be taking here so that I have a clear understanding before I try to convince anybody else that that's the thing that we should be doing. I, I want to make sure that I have a good grounding on that. So yeah, it just kind of depends. Thank you for explaining that, by the way, that definitely helps. Um, and actually, I want to kind of ask, I know that balancing all of this and like kind of making sure that everybody's on the same track, it can be challenging. And there's also just general like creative challenges that come with doing like a bunch of these projects I know I, I've looked at your portfolio you've worked on a bunch of really 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 cool projects that I bet took a lot of time and a lot of energy and so I'm actually very curious to this date based on like throughout your whole career in the industry what has been like one of your biggest creative challenges that you've like been through and it doesn't have to be like the most challenging one that you don't have to like think about like you know the number one but it can just be one that's like pretty memorable it doesn't have to be big or small, but it's a memorable creative challenge that you've gone through when working on one of your successful projects. Yeah, so I think one of the ones that sticks out to me, which like I'm not, I mean, everyone had this 
problem, but, you know, working, working in COVID on location-based entertainment, which requires you to be physically in a location with other people was incredibly challenging. So that, that was really, really hard to do and really hard to navigate in a way where it felt like we were keeping momentum. Because I, I think like in that situation, sometimes we were wondering whether or not getting enough access to the platform that we needed to have access to, or did we, did we actually solve how to make some type of simulation of this platform too? Because that was a, another method that we chose to go down is like, okay, can we make a virtual sim of the physical platform that we're working with so that we could kind of map things out correctly and have a proxy essentially for what we were working on? Uh, can, can we do that? And can we do that successfully? Is it going to take too much time to just make that as opposed to like working on the bulk of the actual project? And so there, there was a lot of trying to weigh out the best scenario of how to accomplish a task that seemed kind of overbearing at the time. But, you know, little by little, we did figure out some of these proxy builds and simulators in order to get a replication of what we were working on. And so it, it was helpful in some ways, I think it also took us longer than we were anticipating to, to do that. So that was a learning curve. And then also just everyone, the whole entire world was learning how to work remotely. And so that was really challenging just in general outside of trying to do LBE, VR, shared spaces and shared experiences. <laughs> like outside of that, like just the, the practicality was a little bit tricky, but it, it was nice to have VR headsets and work within virtual spaces so that you kind of felt like you were in shared spaces, but not all the time. So yeah, it just kind of depended. Thank you for explaining that. And since we're moving towards the topic of like location-based experiences, what is based on your experience working in that specific industry in that specific space, what is something that you're like really excited about for the future of that space? Like something that's not happening right now in location-based experiences with VR, but something that like can be coming in the next five to 10 years that you're like really excited for? Oh, that's a hard question. It's a good one, but it's a hard one. I'm just really excited about one, like people becoming more familiar with the technology in general, because that's been kind of a hurdle for us to get past is like, how do I just get you to want to step inside the box, right? How do I get you in there and to put on a headset? So that that's always kind of been a hurdle for us. And I don't see that as continuing to be a hurdle as we're moving forward, because so many people have a better understanding of what VR and AR is. And even like this last Christmas, the Oculus app was like one of the most downloaded apps because people were buying headsets and there was all this like user engagement. And so the more people get familiar with the technology, the less of a kind of barrier of entry there's going to be for people to want to engage in location-based VR. And I'm really hoping that somebody will be like walking down the street see an LBE VR experience and they're like, Hey, come on guys, let's go do it. I love VR. You should try it too. Come on, let's go, you know, and convince their friends to kind of have this spontaneous moment where they go and engage with it. That's what I'm hoping for with like mass adoption. As the future looks, I'm really interested in seeing kind of how some of the hardware is going to keep advancing because it has already 
So there's already things happening in the space that allow for just like accessibility in general, whether that's because the packs have been really heavy or the gear hasn't necessarily always fit people and different statures and different sizes of people. Um, Like even myself, not all the VR headsets fit me and I am an adult woman, like they should fit me, but they don't because they weren't necessarily designed for my stature. And so things like that, I'm hoping that that keeps improving and increasing and that people can engage in these LBE experiences for longer stretches of time because the equipment will also be able to handle that. So Right now, there's a lot of like kind of shorter experiences. I'm I'm excited to see longer experiences kind of go into the environment as well. And then also a lot of these headsets that people are kind of experimenting with right now involve some type, some sometimes applications and interesting kind of haptics are being built into the headsets or different types of mechanisms for sensory effects are being built into these headsets too. So like all of those types of like hardware devices are just going to keep allowing us to make even cooler experiences and play with those different types of senses even more and, and see how we can get people to really feel as though a NPC character is alive, you know, and and really making people feel like they have engaged in in a very unique experience that was all just their own. Like they were the hero and maker of that experience. So I'm excited for us to keep pushing those boundaries as we move forward. And I think that people are honestly just want to get out of the house and do stuff now. People are excited and willing to go to theme parks and family fun centers. And they want to like experience things together because they're sick of being by themselves experiencing all this stuff, right? I want to go hang out with my friends and I want us to go do it at a place where we can have fun, even if it's within a new environment for, for them. Like I want to take them there to go do it. Cause I want to see how they respond to that environment. I want to see that magical experience happen for them. Even if I've already been there, I think that's the stuff that I find really fun and engaging. So I think, I think it's only going to get better with time. For sure. Um, though that that is an exciting feature that I'm really excited to like come to because I mean definitely we're on the path to get there and sooner or later we're we're going to get to that stage and I'm really excited to get to that stage see all that stuff happening and then further advances obviously to different aspects of location based um, virtual reality yeah so I actually want to transition a little bit into being generally being a being a minority in STEM as many people know. It, it can be difficult. It just like generally, no matter what industry you are in, in with STEM, it can definitely be difficult. So I want to ask, first of all, if you can like kind of explain some kind of like boundaries that you face being a minority in, in STEM, like first of all, like first of all that and like how you've overcome those barriers. And then we can kind of go a little bit deeper into some other aspects of that. Yeah. So I think, you know, just in general, being in STEM, there, there isn't always somebody who looks like you as a woman or I'm Latina as well. And so not necessarily everyone's going to like look like me or have the same kind of like cultural background that I have or upbringing that I have. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of like across the board 
in a lot of ways, like, you know, we, we don't live in a homogenized society in general, but it does feel like sometimes there's been times where I've been the only woman on the team and you can feel that, you know, that's, that's something that definitely doesn't go unnoticed. Even if I've worked, I've been on teams where it was like very obvious and very uncomfortable. And then I've been on teams where people are incredibly kind and, and very aware and observant of the fact that I am the only woman on this team, right? But that doesn't happen all the time. And I don't expect it from people because that's just not how the world works, you know, and And I also recognize that sometimes I'm the only one who has a kid that's on the team. And there sometimes are people who have ideas of what women's places in the workplace should look like or what their place in society should be. And sometimes they will vocalize that or sometimes they will do microaggressions that let you know what their opinion is. And so there's a lot of that stuff that happens. And even, you know, when you're in school, you can feel some of those imbalances, which I think are, are really hard. And I think as far as my suggestion as to how I was able to get through some of those circumstances that maybe felt isolating or where I felt disconnected to people was to really just find mentors and to find allies that could like help me in those situations. And so if I was facing some type of inequality that I felt was happening to me, Sometimes it was a question of, is this a real thing that's happening right now? Is this a real inequality that's happening right now? Or is this also something that I'm projecting and bringing to the table as well? And I think as I've aged over the years and have grown up over the years, there's been a lot of having to recognize my own personal trauma that I have as being a minority and being raised Latina and recognizing that it might not be Even some of the trauma that I have might not have happened directly to me, but it happened to my parents and it happened to my grandparents. And some of the systemic kind of racism or inequality that happened to them definitely like trickles down through generations. And sometimes you don't recognize that like you're holding some of that, right? And it's really hard to catch yourself in moments. And so having a mentor that you can like bounce things off of can sometimes help you kind of do a reality check of, is this an imbalance that I'm like experience experiencing right now? Like, do should I be cautious of this situation? Or is this something that I can work through? Or is this a, a really big red flag and I need to get away from this situation? And so sometimes having somebody that you can talk to can really help you through some of those situations. And Unfortunately, there, you know, there isn't a whole ton of mentors that are females or female Latinas like in the space that I can turn to or female Latinas that are creative directors like working in VR. Like there's not like a ton of them like out there, you know, and so it, it can be a little hard to navigate those spaces. But I think if you can find some type of community that you feel safe in, whether that's a nonprofit or whether that a school group or your family, your friends, like whatever it is, if you can find some type of safe space to have those conversations with, it's it's actually really helpful and therapeutic to, to talk about these things. Because That's the other part of it. Like nothing's going to change if we don't try to recognize and take actions and steps towards changing it too. So it's good to talk about it. 
I totally agree. And I, that's like something that's something very helpful to people uh, up and coming in like these different um, emerging spaces just to find some people to talk to, find a community, find a mentor that can assist you in some way. So that's yeah, definitely important. And actually, I have a how did you find the mentors and the people that you are surrounding yourself now that are helping you like with stuff? Did you find them through social media You meet them in person through some sort of experience? Like, how was that process for you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I feel like I have a mixture of people in my life that depending on what the situation or circumstances, I will talk to them about things. But some of them I've met, whether it was like a professor in grad school who really, and even like, I'm so close with some of my undergrad professors, you know, so it could be, it could be a professor from any part of your life that might be the mentor that you need through something it could be like, I mean, for myself, my my current boss is like a mentor to me. And I've had other people that I've worked with in the past who I will reach out to and talk to them about things. And even like people that I went to school with, there there's people that I will reach out to and talk to them or alumni too from your programs. They're always really good resources. And I have some mentees that I that I'm helping that are from my programs that I graduated from as well. Alumni, I'm on both sides of that alumni where there's alumni from the program that are my mentors, and then there's alumni or alumni from the program who that that where we are mentoring other people, right? So it's kind of a pay it forward scenario with those. And then honestly, there are a lot of different types of organizations like the IGDA has uh, different SIGs that they're a part of and, or that they have. And those, those different special interest groups might have a interest that you align with. And there might be people there that you can meet. Like I mentor in some of those SIGs as well. And so I've met people through there that have asked me for help or advice or to even look at their portfolio, to look over their resume, all of that stuff, right, is only going to help you just a little bit more. So if you, if you can get someone to look at your resume or your application when you're trying to get into a school or you're trying to get a job, take their feedback and listen to some of the insights that they might have so that they can help you. And sometimes they have referrals too, you know, and so meeting people is actually a really helpful way to find some of that alliance that you'll probably have with people in the space. Amazing advice and something that um, everybody listening should definitely consider whether whatever space you're going to this stuff, it's something that's kind of universal. Find those, that community, find those people that are going to be supportive of you when you're in tough situations. So that's definitely something to note and consider. And I want to thank you for going into some detail with that. And as we're ending off here, um, I want to ask, first of all, what is from all of the stuff that we've talked about during this episode, what is, first of all, one thing that you're, or one idea or one concept or something that people should definitely take away from listening to this episode? And do you have any last thoughts before we kind of end off here? Yeah, sure. I actually kind of back to your other question about being in STEM kind of as like a minority in STEM. One thing that I feel like people don't often realize, especially like you know, myself, it's like, I I never thought I would go to grad school, let alone be able to afford to get two degrees, right? I always thought that that was just out of reach, just because of like my background and like kind of like where I come from. I just thought that was out of reach. But the reality is, is that a lot of people want to help you. 
I was able to apply for a lot of different types of opportunities. I was telling you about the grant, you know, that I I got for teaching and wanting to develop a class that hadn't been taught yet. So there's all sorts of different types of opportunities. And especially if you're trying to go into STEM and especially even more so if you're trying to make something that's new and emerging People want to support you along the way and people want to find a way to give you access to things. And there's a lot of different organizations that are out there that will help you get maybe like a free pass to a conference or they will help you get some type of equipment that you need in order to make the stuff that you want to make. And so I feel like there are a lot of opportunities out there and you just have to kind of ask for help to find them, dig for them but they're there. And especially within like the VR, AR space, stuff is moving right now and people are wanting to fund all sorts of projects. And the buzz of the metaverse has made it so that there's a lot of financial opportunities within the space. And I can't even tell you how many companies off the top of my head are looking for developers. And If you know how to work in a game engine and you know how to develop these types of projects, there's a lot of opportunity for you. And I just want people to know that they can pursue their dreams. They can go into these spaces and they can be successful. And it's definitely within reach. And you just have to keep testing those boundaries, you know, just keep pursuing, just keep pushing forward. Because like I said, people want to help you and they will help you along the way is an amazing way to end off and kind of summarize something that should definitely be taken away from this episode. I totally agree. Definitely take advantage of the opportunities that are out there because there are so many, especially now that we we have access to the internet and we have, there's just so many opportunities buzzing everywhere. So just be on the lookout for that. Know that you're not alone. And I want to thank you so much, Dana, for coming on this episode. We've talked about technical differences between virtual reality and augmented reality and also like how what location-based entertainment is and how um, that's kind of an emerging space that you've been into, how um, your experience being a creative director and how how like creative challenges you've had in the in like the aspect of being creative director and like some of the roles that you play and also just being a minority in STEM dealing with those challenges having those people to figure out you know is it is it what I'm interpreting as a problem or is it actually a problem? You know, just those things are definitely things to consider. So I want to thank you so much for coming on this episode and explaining all of that to our viewers. And um, I hope everybody has an amazing day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.